Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Michael McCormick, one of the original puppeteers and sculptors of Salacious Crumb, Size Noodles, and Effent Mon, who then left Return of the Jedi's creature shop early into production because of injuries. So this is a short, live, very interesting interview, and I believe it's his first Star Wars-related one ever. We touch on many subjects, some fun, some not so fun, but I hope you at least get a better understanding of Mr. Cormac from this, as well as his life and his incredible talent. This is Talking Bay 94, Episode 108, Michael McCormick. Start at the very beginning. The beginning. The very, very beginning. Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Starting in Brooklyn, what made you want to sculpt and puppeteer, and what was that first inspiration? That's interesting. Okay. I'm five years old. My father was with Sperry Gyroscope. The war was over. He got laid off and saw something in a newspaper ad. And three months later, my mother and I were living in Santa Fe, and he was working on the Manhattan Project. Wow. And... I, th- I think the whole thing is down to that weird, hey, radioactive atmosphere. Uh-huh. <laughs> Turned out a lot of very peculiar people, and I'm just one of them. <laughs> so how did you first get introduced? It was Henson initially and the Frouds initially. Oh, yeah. What was that first impetus? How did you all get introduced? What was that? <laughs> okay. My son and I were uh, uh, at the Fiesta in Santa Fe. Right? Yeah. Uh, the weather was so foul, I can't even begin to tell you at that fiesta. Uh-huh. So for old time's sakes, because we've been doing it for 10 years, we did a puppet show, The Punch of Judy, uh-huh. on the street. So we said, let's pack up and get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. So we started packing stuff up, and this guy said, boy, your puppies sure did frighten my little boy. <laughs> and it was Roger Miller, the songwriter. Right. He, we talked for several minutes, and uh, he said, has Jim Henson ever seen your puppets? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, I think he should. I said, is that an introduction? He said, yeah. <laughs> so it was beautiful. Yeah. And believe it or not, I sold something that same day, an object, a medieval object, mm-hmm. a part of a triptych, a, a wood carving of one of the attendants to the Virgin Mary. So I had the money in hand, and uh, uh, a week later I was in London, having made the appointment to see Jim, right. dragging this trunk full of puppets down the middle of Elstree, right. people looking at me and cracking up. Of course, yeah. in Elstree, a lot of strange stuff happens. <laughs> and... Uh, Got into the set at ATV Studios where they filmed Muppets. Right. And I said, I have an appointment to see Mr. Henson. And uh, they said, uh, he's filming right now and he'll be busy for the rest of the day. Do you want to be on stage? <laughs> I said, sure. And I walked in and they were filming the last episode of Muppets. And that was Miss Piggy as Cleopatra. Wow, yeah. You know, and the frog is Mark Anthony, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Jim told me later, uh, or I heard actually from somebody in the family told me, the the reason he hired you is because your photographs of your puppets had been done by a professional photographer, which was true, because I had so much respect for my own puppets. Yeah. And that's why he hired me. So. 
not artistic talent, but rather attitude. Yeah. You know, so it's an, an abstraction, really. Yeah. And then uh, an hour after that, I was in Hampstead talking to Brian Froud, mm-hmm. not knowing anything about Brian Froud or Dark Crystal. Right. And then I find out from him, from Brian, that the reason he hired me is because I can make things look old. So when Labyrinth was over, having done, what, almost five years on those two projects, I had done a lot more than make things look old. Right. (laughs) I love it. I mean, because Dark Crystal, Skeksis, right? And then Labyrinth, you ended up working a lot on the Goblins, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to track, because you went from... Dark Crystal to then Jedi. That's right. And to the Creature Shop. How did that jump happen? What made you go work with Bill? Well, it, it's 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 I, I, it doesn't speak well for certain aspects of the as an organization maybe, but uh, they were paying me properly. I'd walked in off the street. Right. Right. So quite honestly, my son and I were performing in London, performing the Punch and Judy show, right outside Dingwalls. In Camden Town, mm-hmm. right on, on, you know, right on the uh, canal. I was making more money doing the puppet, my own puppets, than I was getting from wow. that. So, mm-hmm. so uh, that that discussion went down, and that I, I simply could not afford to stay on Dark Crystal. Yeah, and they were also giving my wife a salary. Yes, uh-huh. So also, so that's what happened when we went on to Labyrinth. It was the call from Jim Henson. Who says, oh, Mike, oh, Mike. <laughs> it was like talking to the frog, no two ways about it. Yeah. Uh, that uh, uh, he said, well, we're going again. You want to come along? And I said, yeah, Jim, I think so. He said, good, talk to Dave Laser. Then I got a call from Brian Froud who said, ask whatever you want this time. Yeah. Right. So, oh, I love it. It was uh, spectacular, you know. Yeah. What can you say? Those things never happen in Hollywood, but they always happen in Hollywood. Right. You know? That's great. At some level, everybody's got a story. If they're eating, right. they've got a story. Right. <laughs> That's so great. I mean, going going to the creature shop itself, because it's like my favorite part of Star Wars movie-making history. I mean, obviously, Salacious Crumb is one of the most long-lasting characters out of Star Wars. And so what was that initial job like? What was your role in the creature shop? And then how did you kind of... Okay, I was hired with nothing is spoken, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 Tony's reputation was was probably better than mine at that that point as far as they knew. And uh, but I got hired on uh, to... uh, be the puppet master for the show. So my responsibility was to see, to make them work. Right, right. And uh, the only way I could make the elephant guy work was have Tony make salacious crumbs. Right. So. That's so cool. Yeah. What was the process, and was it any different? Henson versus the Tippett studio. Like, what was kind of, how was it being fabricated? What was... Night and day. Yeah. But that's only because I was already established... Yeah. In, in Froud's shop, right, and Jim, and I was new man into Tibbets, and you can see what I ended up doing was really irritating him by challenging him mm, by making a character myself. Yeah, and uh, having the, the smarts to use Tony to do it. Right, but uh, yeah, very political, very uh, interesting, young. 
What can I say? Almost like teen, like Kurt Thatcher yeah. was about 11. Yeah. And uh, that ended with him getting, uh, interestingly enough, uh, urethane poisoning mm. from the expanding foam. Mm -hmm. And he developed uh, a bronchial, you know, a block. Oh my blockage, gosh. double plug yeah. in his lungs. He could have very easily died. Yeah. And they had already, uh, they had already forbidden the use of it on the English stages. Right. And uh, because it was so dangerous. And we'd used it for the vegetation. Right. And, you know, when the kids are rowing the boat down mm -hmm. through the swamp. And my son worked on, on doing those plants because there's a lot of repetitive stuff and he didn't have the artistic training. Yeah. But ended up getting that artistic training. Yeah. He moved at 16. Uh, he went on to, at the end of that year, before he turned 17, he went on to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. It certainly was for a 16-year-old American <laughs> kid <laughs> who didn't make a dime. Yeah. You know, oh, my gosh. He did it. You know, it was like a summer summer internship. <laughs> well, that, and, and his his reward was they gave him a storyboard. Oh wow! A set, you know, from from the right. thing. And it was one of the few from that stuff that had been done in England that's yeah. around. And then it got stolen. So yeah. Oh my gosh. It's hey, it's it's just stuff. We get to make it all over again. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's it's crazy, but this is what we do, and somehow or another, it doesn't bother you too much. The stuff is yeah. only stuff. Right. They're they're props. Right. They're props, guys. Yeah. <laughs> None of the Skeksis have survived. Yeah. They're rotting away. Yeah. Jim wouldn't do anything about it. I do know there is a set, thanks to Lyle Conway who sculpted them, there's a set of hard fiberglass heads oh, wow. stashed away in his world. Someplace. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Made from the same molds that the heads were cast in. Yeah. Uh, they they were uh, RTV silicon molds mm -hmm. inside plaster, and they were fine for doing the foam latex. And so uh, we we cut a lot of territory on that picture. Yeah, stuff that had never been done before. Yeah, and uh, a lot of it. Every time I turn around, I think, hey, we did that on Dark Crystal. <laughs> you know, it's right. Just, Oh, so cool! It was, uh, yeah, it deserves a book. Yeah, you know it does. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Dark Crystal, in my mind, and Labyrinth are both just like so seminal in like you know, like what you're saying, like just so visionary and so different. But what they were pushing the boundaries for—that's the heyday of puppeteering and sculpting and really tactile, real things. And it 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 brought it like a steamroller into the movie world. Yeah, and. Now with CG, 3D, it's the steamroller turn direction and pushing it all out of you, which is which is a shame. You got to start someplace. You might as well start with a real puppet. So, right. well, I mean, not to belabor the incredible. You said they're just props, but really they've taken a life of their own, right? Elephant Man, the Elephant Man, yeah, and, and Size Noodles too. What process? What was the inspiration? What was kind of how did how did you help make that happen? in the creature shop. I was mostly defending myself because uh, this, okay, this is the truth, okay? This is a real deal. I went through two years on Dark Crystal and I didn't get a hangnail. I had nine life-threatening accidents in Phil's shop. Oh my God. And to this day, he thinks I was setting it all up to take him to the cleaners. Oh my God. Which I wasn't. Oh yeah. But, uh, uh, only, only recently, uh, I was able to get a shoulder replaced, uh -huh. and the pain stopped oh my for the first time. 
Oh my gosh. In all those years, the pain in that shoulder quit. And but that was the shoulder that I'd broken on right, Jedi. Right, on Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, because your your time on Jedi ended too soon for yeah. obvious reasons, very sadly. And then of course with Labyrinth, your legacy was able to kind of continue and your work was able to really, really grow. I mean, really final to wrap it all up, you also ended up being a professor and teaching how to be a puppeteer and, and yeah, yeah. that's yeah, so yeah. that's so incredible, like teaching this next generation. What were your words of inspiration or how did you teach them? What was kind of your process of, of making sure that they were equipped for that? All puppeteers at universities are either people in art education or they're athletes who don't want to do anything except <laughs> oh. shoot hoops. Right. You know? And uh, so they take an easy, cheap course, and then I would drive them crazy because I would insist that they do something. Right. So uh, they they wheedled out and disappear. Yeah. But a lot of the kids from uh, from art education have more than carried it through into teaching yeah. their own classes. You know, you you get these things like Roger Miller mm -hmm. on the street in Santa right. Fe. I don't even know what to call those things, but the puppets are so personalized that they, they reach directly into the creative hotspot of little kids as well as big kids. Yeah. Potency is probably the right word. The strength of, of these figures who historically were probably originally effigy mm -hmm. intended for religious purposes. Mm -hmm. So one way or another, these little buggers sort of go right into that part of the psyche. Somehow or another, yeah. they hit the, the God button mm -hmm. or brush on the God button sure. and identify for you and for people who are around where they belong in that lexicon yeah. of psychological godheads of any number of varieties. It's uh, once you start, yeah, there's no easy out with this stuff. Yeah, no, I love it, and it's so inspirational and so great to talk to you. And thank you for taking this time. I mean, I'm really just blown away. So, Mr. McCormick, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Again, it was my great pleasure. To meet you. Yes. Yeah. Don't wash that hand. Yeah, right now. <laughs>